Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. in French Morocco in North Africa. The meeting place of adventurers, fugitives, criminals, refugees lured into this danger-swept oasis by the hope of escape to the Americas. But they're all trapped, for there is no escape. Against this fascinating background is woven the story of an imperishable love and the enthralling saga of six desperate people, each in Casablanca, to keep an appointment with destiny. I was willing to shoot Captain Reno, and I'm willing to shoot you. All right, Major, you asked for it. You knew how much I loved you. How much I still love you. deal more about you than you suspect. I know, for instance, that you're in love with a woman. It's perhaps a strange circumstance that we both should love the same woman. What do you want for Sam? Don't buy and sell human beings. That's too bad. That's Casablanca's leading commodity. You can ask any price you want, but you must give me those letters. That's all. I, I tried to reason with you. I tried it. Now I want those letters. Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, where we're here for episode number 38. We're back. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a rough days for me, so a couple days. Um, We will be talking about one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, usually anywhere between three and five, uh, number three and number five on most lists. Yeah. Um, The movie Casablanca. And Terrence, do you know what Casablanca means in Spanish? I don't, actually. White House. Oh. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I guess um, I should uh, guess that. <laughs> right. So 
Anything else been going on? You seen any good movies lately? Anything before we get going? No, I haven't really seen anything. It's just been I'm telling you, I watched that uh, Jojo Rabbit. I didn't know how I would th- like it, but man, it, it ended up being a really good movie. So I've heard um, a lot of things about a lot of the movies. If you like, haven't seen it, it's, 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 it's really, really interesting movie. Good movie. I heard, what was the um, the war movie? Which In uh, 1917, 1940, something like yeah, that. So I, whatever, <laughs> I just watched it. I, I heard, heard 1917, really I think. Um, even though I've heard sort of back and forth on like, it's good, oh, it's not so good. I, I've heard an over still more positive than negative about Birds of Prey. Uh, which also came out. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, I heard it was pretty good. And then I'm going to throw out here this, the Peanut Butter Falcon, if you haven't seen it, make sure you amazing. watch it. I watched that a long time ago, and I think it's still one of the best movies of last year that I've seen. So, But enough of boring people to tears. Let's go ahead and jump right into it, because this is this has won a lot of awards. There's a lot of information, um, lot and we're about to, to see why. Out. So, Terrence, let's take it away to Casablanca. Casablanca, release date, January 23rd, 1943. So when we're looking at the box office, we're looking at a budget of uh, 950000 uh, So I think this is on the lower scale budget compared to some of the movies we've seen in the similar time frame. Uh, for opening weekend, I'm sorry, open week, that's, I couldn't get. So gross, USA, uh, $4.1 was made. Um, no, wait, I edited that number. I'm having the roughest <laughs> start right now. Okay. I just like my my notes are so discombobulated. I can't read my own writing sometimes. So, gross USA was they actually made ten point four million. Uh, then we're looking at a cumulative worldwide gross of thirty five point eight thousand. That's minus you know what they made in the U.S. Um, so it was it did pretty well in the U.S. Uh, not so much overseas. But overall, it, it made its money back, and it was a success. Uh, not as a big a success as they wanted, but a su- success nonetheless. Uh, this was directed by Michael Crutiz, uh, who also directed the 1938 Adventures of, Ro- uh, <laughs> Adventures of Robin Hood, 1942 Yankee Doodle Dandy, and 1954 White Christmas. Well, there you go. Uh, writing credits. We're looking at... Uh, Julius J. Epson, Philip G. Epson, uh, who are screenplay brothers, it seems. Or twins. Is, they twins. are twin oh, brothers. Oh, they're twins. Yes. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, Howard Koch, uh, who all wrote the screenplay. Then we have, uh, I suppose this was a, a stage play also. Yeah, uh, Everybody Comes to Ricks or something. Yeah. The name of yeah. It? Howard Koch and Murray Burnett uh, were the writers of... I'm sorry, uh, Murray Burnett and Joanne Allison were the writers of the stage play. And then we have, un- oh man, I'm just all kinds please, of, you, Please like, silence all cell phones during this it's serious funny. production. What's, what's, what's funny is I'm usually the one that's like, hey, let's make sure our cell phones are on silent. And today I'm just dropping the ball on everything. You know, that sounded like one of those cartoons, you know, where they get up to start running real fast. <laughs> all right, let's just, there we go. Now that's on mute. That won't happen again. So <laughs> we have an uncredited writer for uh, Casey Robinson. Uh, the technical specs of this movie are a runtime of an hour and 42 minutes. Uh, so it's, uh, if you're watching the West Germany cut, then it's an hour and 22 minutes. So they cut some stuff out. Um, nice, you know, average movie length, uh, something to squeeze in if you have some time, which is definitely worth it. Uh, sound mix, we're looking at mono RCA sound system. Uh, 
This is a black and white movie. It's been a while since we've done a black and white movie, and now we're back on it. Yeah. Aspect ratio, 1.37 by 1. Uh, they used a Cameron Mitchell BNC for this filming. Uh, the film length is 2,811 meters. Uh, that's 2,815 meters, Sweden. A negative f- format of 35 millimeters. We're looking at Eastman Plus X1231 if you are interested. Uh, cinemagraphic process is spherical printed film format. D-Cinema uh, for the... 2012 2K digital re-release. So as you can imagine, this thing's been released multiple times. Um, and then originally it was uh, 35 millimeter. Now off to the awards. <laughs> Still doesn't have the same pizzazz as the other table. <laughs> All right, we might have to pull that other table out just so you get your <laughs> sound so effects. Just drum on it, right? Uh, so we're looking at the Academy Awards USA 1944. Uh, they won an Oscar for best. Picture, Best Director, uh, Best Writing Screenplay, and then they were nominated for Best Actor in Leading Role, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Best Actor in Supporting Role, Claude Ryans, and Best Cinematography, Black and White, Arthur Edison, and Best Film Editing, Owen Marks, and finally Best Music Scoring for a Dramatic or Comedy Picture, Max Steiner. Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films USA, 2009. They were nominated for a Saturn Award for Best DVD Classic Film Release from the Ultimate Collector's Edition. I wonder what else is included in the quote-unquote Ultimate Collector's Edition. I don't know. And I, I, like, what what can, is considered all? Is that like top, 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 tippy top movie? But is there or? like an ultimate, ultimate or is, special is, edition? You know what I, I know, mean? right? Or or is this like ultimate collector's edition of just this movie? But see, I wonder if the reason they um, come back and release it so many times is because maybe they find a vault that has some old film in it or some scripts or you know something. Maybe, maybe you know. What I mean, that's long forgotten. Somebody died. And they were like a backdrop in there, and they found something special, you know, just a yeah. cameo. And they found some special stuff, or I do a diary, or a then, journal, or something. Yeah. I, I do know every now and then we'll, we'll we'll see some movies, and as I'm going through the technical specifications, we'll see uh, a re-release with a uh, almost a director's cut because it'll be longer, um, which kind of pulls that same question oh did they find like lost footage that they decided to add into the film or right. was the was the director still around to be like that should have been in the movie well it's like the most famous of all is what the richard donner superman 2 cut yep um completely different movie when you throw his stuff in oh, there yeah absolutely <laughs> uh where was i yes dvd exclusive awards 2003 they were nominated for a dvdx award best dvd overall dvd classic movie including all extra feature features um and this was the 60th anniversary special edition uh that they were, that was nominated um then we have the las vegas film critics society awards 2008 uh it won the sierra award for best dvd packaging design and content for the 85th anniversary edition the warner home entertainment 85th edition anniversary man shows how long this like movie has just stood the test of time uh next we have the national board review usa 1943 and before i got into the awards i actually wanted to talk about this particular award set for this episode so we have the national board of review we've only seen it a handful of times um but I thought the background was interesting about this award set, so I thought I'd uh, you know, throw it into this particular episode. So um, 
this came out in 1909, this particular set of reviews. And this is where uh, filmmakers, film enthusiasts, actors, professionals, they basically watch a bunch of movies and then discuss them uh, with the actors, the directors, the producers. So they... uh, this is typically done in New York, and what they'll do is they'll sit around and they'll talk about uh, the movies after they watch them, and they'll watch up to like 250 films. Like this is just a whole event. Try to our alley. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> exactly. And so uh, what they'll do is after watching them, they'll, they'll talk about it with the creators and stuff, and um, then they move on to the awards, which usually if you see a movie on the National Board of Review – um, they'll also be considered for bigger awards like the you know the Oscars, Academy Awards, stuff like that, um, and so that's also really interesting. And to qualify to get an uh, MBR award is is pretty simple. It just has to have a theatrical release in the United States because um, it does include foreign films, but it had to have been released theatrically, uh, and they have to be able to screen it uh, while they're doing the the. <clears throat> the award ceremony, basically, or you know, the the whole the event, review. yeah, the right. review, because um, obviously you can't review it if you can't watch it. So <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it. So that's a little highlight on the National Board of Review. So now we're looking forward in time from when this was created back to 1943, when Casablanca won the award for the MBR Award Top Ten Films, and they also won Best Director. Uh, Michael Kruitz for uh, this. Did you is, say the NBR? Yeah, it's it's that's the the abbreviated uh, for what for National Board of Review. Okay, NBR. Um, so this is interesting. So it won top ten films, uh, but he also ran des- uh, best director, but for a different movie. Yeah, I seen that. Yeah. I was like, wow. Uh, then we are off to the National Film Preservation Board, USA, nineteen eighty nine. Obviously, this. Film is eligible for it, <laughs> uh, and it won that's, that's to a, be in the isn't National that Film BT? Registry. What's that? Isn't that BT before Terrence? <laughs> <laughs> Nineteen eighty nine, right? Yeah, BT before Terrence. BT. <laughs> <laughs> then we have the uh, New you York. Seen your face like, <laughs> what is like, this what guy? Is what is BT? <laughs> uh, now we have the New York Film Critics Circle Award, nineteen forty two. They were nominated for the. NYFCC Award uh, for Best Actor, uh, Humphrey Bogart, and Best Director, which is interesting because, once again, they were nominated for definitely the participants in this movie, but they were nominated for different roles. Uh, So interesting that uh, this is on the list. Um, I did not read that ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, Humphrey Bogart got it for Across the Pacific, and Michael Cruitz got it for directing Yankee Doodle Dandy. The Online Film Tele- Television Association, 1997, AT. <laughs> <laughs> uh, winner of the OFTA Film Hall of Fame, uh, they won for Best Motion Picture. And now for the synopsis of Casablanca. An American man must decide if he wants to help his former lover and her husband escape from French Morocco. A very interesting plot of this movie. Um, like I said, I haven't 
I don't know if I've ever watched this movie all the way through. I think this might be my first time watching it totally through. Nice. I've tried to start it. like That first few minutes is rough. I'm not going to lie. You know what I mean? Where everybody's landing and oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. doing and all I, the explanation. I was like, man, what is going on? I, yeah. I was like, man, you know, I really don't care at this point. You know, just <laughs> get to something, you know, anything. Uh, so I really didn't have any thoughts going into it. All I know is it was on the, the greatest movies list, and I know yeah. I hadn't seen it, and I know I want to watch it, and I know I want to do this podcast review on it. So that's where we're at. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about the cast. Very diverse, diversified cast. Absolutely, yeah. Um, obviously, your main stars are Humphrey Bogart, who played Rick Blaine. Yep. Um, Ingrid Bergman uh, as Elsa, uh, Elise, uh, Elise Lund. Um, she calls it her most famous and enduring role. Very nice. I thought that was pretty good because she's had a lot of movies. Uh, Paul Henry as Victor Lazlo or Lazio. Uh, he was uh, obviously her husband. Yeah. Which we're going to say this now. She thought he was dead. Yeah. Uh, back when she meets Humphrey Bogart in Paris, Rick, in, back in, in Paris, Paris, and they France, have a little yeah. romantic fling. Um, and then you know, throughout the movie, you find out you know Bogart's really mad at her, and you don't understand oh, yeah. why. You know, uh, <laughs> very. But we'll get there. Well, I don't yeah. want to discuss that right now. And here we go. The second build actors, which I just told Terrence this, and he didn't believe me, but this all ties together. Claude Rain, better yep. known for as the Invisible Man role that yep. he did, um, plays Captain Louis Renault, which he was very good in this Phenomenal. movie, too. Um, what, what was funny is uh, when he told me that, I was like, oh, I didn't recognize him. But oh, he yeah, did, that's because I didn't see him in the first right, place. Right. <laughs> he did play in that Michael uh, Curtis' The Adventures of Robin Hood. He was in that. Yep. And he was also in... Uh, uh, the villain and Alfred Hitchcock's notorious, along with Ingrid Bergman. So he he had played with her again. Nice. Uh, Conrad Veidt as Major Henrik Strasser. Uh, he was actually a refugee German actor who had appeared in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. He fled the Nazis, but was frequently cast as a Nazi in American films. I was like, how <laughs> oh, do you? Man. I mean, uh, wow. That that would just be a slap in the face, I think. Uh, Sidney Greenstreet as Signor Ferrari, who was another Englishman. Uh, he had a uh, Previously starred uh, with Laura and Bogart in his film debut in The Maltese Falcon. Oh, wow. And next, Peter Laurie as Signar Ugarte. Um, if you don't know this guy, this guy has been in a ton of movies. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, Voice to the Bottom of the Sea, uh, The Maltese Falcon, The Man Who Knew Too Much, uh, just a bunch. Our Stinking Old Lace, which we will be doing sometime. Um, great movie. So... It says, Green Street and Laura appeared in several films together over the uh, next few years, although they did not share a scene in Casablanca. So there you go. They had yeah. those guys. Um, there's also a bunch of uh, credits. The thing about most of these actors or extras, they were actually people that were uh, running away from wartime yeah. crimes or uh, the, what do you want to call it? The, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the regime they're running from the uh, regime, yeah, uh, yeah. They're, a hiding they're place from kind of, uh, <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah, I'm uh, but yeah. we had kerb boyce as the pickpocket uh <laughs> leonard kinski as sasha the russian bartender yeah uh, madeline lebeau as yvonne joy page as an anania brandle uh who was a bulgarian refugee yep uh joy page oh that's the one i just said sorry john quaylen um sc sackle Dooley Wilson as Sam. Very underrated yes, performance. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about something a little bit later that makes me mad with him. So hang on. It's one of those <laughs> one of those injustices, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but he was one of the few American-born uh, members of the cast. 
It was actually a drummer, and he had to fake play in the piano. They actually had somebody oh, wow. else playing the piano, like behind a curtain, close to him. Okay. And so, so, but they had him in sight where he could see the hand movements. You know yeah. what I mean? So he faked it very well. Um, it says even after shooting had been completed, producer Wallace considered dubbing over Wilson's voice for the songs. He had originally considered changing the character to a woman, casting singers Hazel Scott, Lena Holm, or Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. I mean... I'm glad they didn't. No, I'm I'm very (laughs) glad. And here's some uncredited ones. Marco Dalio, uh, Helmut Dante, or Dantine, Gregory Gay as the German banker, Torben Meyer as the Dutch baker, Corinza Musa as the guitar player who sings Tango de la Rosa, Frank Puglia, Richard Ryan, Dan Seymour, Gerald Oliver Smith, Norma Vaden. So much of the emotional impact of this film for the audience in 94 was attributed to the large proportion of the European exiles and the refugees who were extras or played minor roles in addition to the leading actors. So I thought that uh, there's also a rumor, if you will, that Jack Benny had an unbuilt cameo in this movie. Really? Right. Uh, Roger Ebert once said, uh, somebody wrote into his movie thing one time and said, hey, I think Jack Benny's in here. And he's like, I don't know. And he went back and he said, well, I think you may be right. So (laughs) So what I think is really interesting about this movie is I completely, like, so I knew I watched it. I knew I liked it, but I didn't remember the movie. And uh, last time I saw it, it was on the list of, like, top ten romance movies. Like, it's always on the top ten romance movies. So I'm thinking, like, okay, well, it's it's a romance. And then I watched it and I'm like... It has romance in it, but like, but doesn't even, but doesn't even really have romance in it. Exactly. So it's 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 interesting. Uh, Movie was was definitely different than I remember it in a good way, in an absolutely good way. Um, But I think the to label it a a a romance is is almost kind of doing discrediting it a bit for how. I mean, what would you what would you label it if not a romance? A drama at best. Yeah. And drama was where I'd put it. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's kind hard, of like in its own. It is. It's, it's like a wartime yeah. uh, war drama romance, I guess, more or less, if you will. Yeah. Um, and the famous scene where the Marcellus or Marcellate, whatever, I'm going to slaughter a lot of these words because a lot of them are foreign. So yeah. I'm going to be Terrence in a lot of these. <laughs> Uh, sung over the German song Watch on the Rhine many of the extras has real tears in their eyes that's because a large number of them were actually refugees from Nazi persecution in Germany and elsewhere in Europe and were overcome by the emotions the scene brought on oh wow that's... so I mean how how fortunate you know you're you're running away from your country and then you get hey you want to be an extra in this cast you know what I mean right. and then it's just right place right time you know what I mean um Many of the actors who played the Nazis were, in fact, German Jews who had escaped from Nazi Germany. That's crazy. That's that's sad, man. Yeah. Um, Humphrey Bogart was a small man. You know what I mean? He wasn't very tall at all. So he had to wear platforms in his shoes uh, because Ingrid Bergman was way, way taller than him. Really? Um, even when he's, like, sitting in chairs and stuff, that's why you never see him, like, from the waist down. You know what I mean? That or, makes sense, yeah. But he's also, like, when he's sitting, he's sitting on pillows and stuff to make him <laughs> look, look like he's taller. taller right? he and we've seen that in several movies, like the Magnificent oh, yeah, Seven. Yeah. Remember where he we... had to stand on mounds and then... Mounds uh, of dirt. And then the other guy would pound <laughs> him down. <laughs> funny. Still funny. Yeah. Um, when the this film won the Academy Award, oh by the way, the when it won the Academy Award for the brothers, um, what yeah. was the brothers' names? Do you remember? Uh, Julius and where is my sheets? 
I don't know what you did with it. I know. It's everywhere. It's right here. It's right here. Oh, is hey, it still here? It's right here. Oh, see, that's it's so, great, so disorganized. Uh, yeah, Julius and Philip. I think they are the only twins to ever win an Academy Award for directing. Really? Uh, so. Screenwriting. Or whatever they did, yeah. yeah. Uh, but in the um, when it won the Academy Award for Best Picture, Jack L. Warner was the first on stage to accept the award. Beating the film's actual producer, Hal B. <laughs> Wallace, who was incensed at this slight and never forgave Warner. Yeah. I mean, so... <laughs> it, like getting a award. He left, he left Warner yeah. Brothers shortly after that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Madonna wanted to remake this with her as the Ingrid Bergman. And guess who? Ashton Kutcher as oh, Rick. <laughs> wow. uh, but they, But when she went to you know go present this to the... Uh, studios, yeah. they were like, this film is untouchable. Yeah, they yeah, said just, you're not gonna mess this up. You know what I mean? It's it's a film that it ages well. Like you don't need to remake it because you can still go back and watch it and still enjoy it. And I think I don't think you'll ever see like Gone with the Wind, um, you know, stuff like that. I don't yeah. think you'll ever see those remade. I would, I kind of, I'd be disappointed to even hear someone would think of. I mean, I'm it. disappointed when I hear some of the movies that they're gonna try to remake. You know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of. That little piece of me dies yeah. when I hear that. Especially, well, it's like, I think I especially when they change the whole. You know, if it was a drama, they change it to a comedy or uh, a comedy to a horror. Yeah, you know what I mean? It just over it its, really makes its me type mad. Of movie. I, right. I will say, I'm always. What should happen more often is they should take uh, uh, movies that were never really good in the first place and remake them to make them better. All right, let me <laughs> let me ask you a question. This we're gonna go down a little rabbit trail real, real quick because this has been bothering me. How do you feel when um, a movie just appeases to a certain group of people? And when I say that, uh, or it it, it, it it typecasts a certain group of people for this movie. So I'll, I'll go ahead and start like this. Medea. Okay. We'll okay. just use Medea. Yeah. Um, it's it's African-American. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's who it's targeting its audience. But even like The Nutty Professor and stuff like that, yeah. it, 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 I mean, it's comedy, but... That's usually you never see anything really like a, a, a drama. You know what I mean? Um, it's kind of like typecasted to the stupidity of, you know what I mean? The well, movie, the okay. comedy movie, and and I understand it's a different mindset. Yeah, but also like when you typecast or or you keep bringing out these movies, that I mean, people are human beings. Yeah, it should be looked at evenly. You know, a comedy, comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you understand what I'm trying to no, say? I get, what, I get what you're saying. So, okay, so I'll address each of those differently because there's two answers for it, just on those particular two movies. So, with, with the Mendia movies, uh, the all majority of those movies are adapted from stage plays. I've seen the stage plays. The stage plays are phenomenal. They're hilarious. I'm not a fan of the movies because I, I think it's taking something that it, it, it. The beauty of the stage play is. It's funny because a lot of things are obviously scripted, but then you can also tell some of the stuff that's improv. Right. And you get that sort of improv magic that, you know, it's that moment where someone says something that you know is not scripted and everybody's just trying to hold in their laughter to stay in character. And just, you know, a lot of the jokes, um, uh, you know, uh, and also, you know, all the movies have a message in the end. Right. Um, and so the stage plays are just really phenomenal. And I think 
uh, the movies lose a bit of that magic. Now, given I, I did enjoy the very first movie that he came out with, because I was like, oh, snap, they're taking the stage plays and they're making him a movie. That's cool. Um, but after watching the movie, it just all it just made me want to watch the stage play. Um, and so, obviously, th- uh, those movies are directed to, you know, an African-American audience, uh, to which, you know, I, I enjoyed them. Uh, my family's enjoyed them. Uh, but what I'm saying, but, do you think, um, would you rather see, like, a strong drama? Because I can't think of hardly any that's a strong drama, like, in the African-American community or even in the so Spanish community. Uh, but what I'm saying is not as many. That are prominent, you know what That's I'm saying. That's true. Well, they're prominent amongst their own communities. That's so, what I'm saying. So when it but comes what I'm to saying is, you know, uh, uh, like African American movies, like one of the biggest dramas, a, a lot of the like '90s uh, sort of uh, living in, you know, not so great areas. Uh, one movie that's like you talk to anybody, anybody who's black, basically uh, myself. Even though I'm like half black, I still grew up watching a lot of black movies. Um, but almost everyone's seen Boys in the Hood. And it's right. a drama. That's right. a drama. It's a good drama. It's a very sad movie, you know. Um, but that—that's probably one of the more prominent dramas. Uh, that is targeted towards that audience. Now, I can't speak towards like, let's say, a Hispanic audience. Um, but I'm sure, like, you know, my wife knows a movie that probably only like is prominent within the Hispanic community. That is a Hispanic drama. But what I'm saying, would you rather have it where it's more readily available? Uh, with newer stuff too, like we'll just throw out the Disney princesses. Okay. Okay. Um, right now, the only Disney princess that is African American is the Princess and the Frog. Yeah. And she's a frog half the movie. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I the injustice. So I, I think. Um, I, I and think I don't. I and I don't. And I don't. And I don't want them to be like, oh well, we're going to make the remake the Little Mermaid and make Ariel black or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? I, I think there needs to be cultural differences between the Disney princesses, but give them their own story. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I Make them more prominent because I don't want to use the term whitewash because they use that when they know with the awards stuff and all that. But yeah. I'm just saying I'm, I'm tired of the same old stuff over and over and over again where instead of they're losing their creative minds and diversifying okay, okay, actors. And actor, you see what I'm saying? I now? get what you're saying. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to that and I, I think it's, it's better to – uh, create new content when if you want to highlight or you know make uh, 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 let's just say a marginalized person uh, a main character instead of taking an already created character and I think we've probably talked about it we have in a real about, talk like, yeah yeah real talking like probably when we one of the comic movies um, just create a new character right uh, and then you know give them uh, uh, you know that particular ethnicity race. Uh, um, uh, uh, you know, background, whatever. Um, I think it's there's so much more to be explored now that you know people like that can be on the forefront. So instead of taking an already created character or uh, and you know movie, right, and trying and, to change it towards that, just make something new. And like we say in our disclaimer, we know like the injustices that were done in movies, especially Absolutely. early on, like when this movie was filmed. Because I'll go and throw this in here now. Uh, Sam Dooley, who played. Or who, you know, the guy that played yeah. the piano, Sam. He was only paid five hundred dollars a week. Oh man, that's right. But Ingrid Bergman got twenty five thousand. You know, what I mean, even though Sam had a smaller part, you know, what I mean, he was. He, I guess he Such would be a considered good like role, right. I know, but man. I think he would be considered a subcast. You know, what yeah. I mean? But um, 
when you got Igor Bergman for twenty five thousand, I don't know if that was a week or or total. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Sam probably only shot a handful of days, I would say, or a handful of weeks. You know, yeah. to get all of his stuff done. Um, there's also a scene where um, they were going to cut as time goes by out of this film, the, really? the song that he's playing. But yeah. the the problem is, Ingrid Bergman had already cut her hair for her next role, oh. so they couldn't go back and reshoot. So they had to leave it in there. Yes. Yeah. So, but I'm just saying, if they would have cut that out of the film, then even his part is even gone. Yeah. Way down, you know, and that, and I think that was an integral part of the movie. That really was one of the biggest plots of this movie was Sam and that song. You know what I mean? Because I drawled back, that was their song. Yep. And then, you know, he's, he's like, you never play this song again. You know, he's like, Sam, you know, remember when he busted? He's like, I told you, you never that, play this song again. Oh, man, and he looks up scene. and he's like, she asked me to play. You know? <laughs> I was like, that scene gets me every time. You he know? knew it was coming. Like, he starts, he's like, uh, and I like Sam's like, <laughs> when, she, when she requests, she's like, Sam, play me the song. He's like. I, I can't. don't know what you're talking, you're talking about. She's like, you know what song. He's like, it's been a long time. She's like, let me hum it for you. Right. And he's like, ah, ah all yeah, right, all right. And then you see, you see Humphrey Bogart bust out of there. You know what I mean? Like, Sam, I told you to never, never play, play that, that song and again. Like, and he's like, and he's like, ah. <laughs> like over here. But uh, sorry about that, Rob. I just, you know, the way they treated Sam, or the you know, when you start looking at stuff in movies, especially older movies, it just gets to me at times. You know what I mean? Yeah. But this movie had a lot of diverse people in it too. Absolutely. So. Uh, definitely. I mean, I didn't mean to offend anybody by the movies I mentioned. I was just no, trying no, to make course. a point. You know, I mean, I'm trying yeah. to. I wanted to. I want more. You know, what I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I totally understand. because I love Denzel Washington, man. That's one of my favorite actors. His son, uh, and I need to remember his name, but his son is a great actor too. I haven't seen anything. Uh, he's in I, I watched. He was uh, the last movie I watched that he was in was. Um, oh crap! It's the movie where uh, Klansman. That's what it's called. Oh, I wanted based to see off, that. Oh, it's, it's so based good. off a true story. It is, yeah. And um, I've actually heard uh, uh, sort of uh, an interview with the actual cop that was was in. It's very interesting. Uh, the movie's great too. <laughs> Definitely recommend it. Uh, but yeah, his Denzel Washington and his son, just both amazing actors. And I can't wait to see more stuff with his son. Oh in. yeah. So we all know that this was made during the World War Two. Yes. Um, so productions are not allowed to be filmed at an air airport. You know, an airstrip yeah. uh, after dark. Uh, for security reasons, absolutely, yeah. So instead of a sound, they used a sound stage with a small cardboard cutout airplane <laughs> and uh, forced perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, of course. Um, to give the illusion that the plane was actually full size, they used little people to portray the crew. Oh, and I was yeah. like, man, come on! And like I said, different time, different era. And, yeah. I, and I started thinking, I wonder if any of the Munchkins were in it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I couldn't find that out. That'd been really cool. Uh, but the same technique's been used in Aliens. Um, a lot of sci-fi actually. Yep. Uh, use force perspective. Uh, Humphrey wife's Humphrey Bogart's wife, uh, Mayo Mathot, uh, continued accused the, accused him of having an affair with Ingrid Bergman. Oh man! Often confronting him in his dressing room before a shot. <laughs> no wonder he looks so mean at the time. <laughs> I'd be help depressed him, too. Help him gotten the character I right. Uh, he said he would come onto the set in a rage. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, in fact, despite the undeniable on-screen chemistry between Bogart and Bergman, they hardly spoke, and the only time they bonded was when the two had lunch with Geraldine Fitzgerald. According to Fitzgerald, the whole subject at lunch was how they could get out of that movie. They thought the dialogue was ridiculous and the situa- situations were unbelievable. <laughs> I know Bogart very well, and I think he wanted to join forces with, Ber- forces with Bergman to make sure they both said the same things. For whatever reasons, Bogart and Bergman rarely spoke after that, and they never did another movie together. Probably a big thing to do with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> um 
Conrad Veidt, who played Major Strasser, was well known in the theatrical community for Germany for his hatred of the Nazis and his friendship with the Jews. And in fact, was forced to hurriedly escape the country when he found out that the SS had sent a death squad after him because of his anti-Nazi activities. Veidt oh, had it in his contract that he play, only played villains because he was convinced that playing suave Nazi baddies would help the war effort. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I get it. Like, uh, you, you know, you want to make sure you portray these people how they, <laughs> right. you, you want them to and, be portrayed. And like, um, yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a uh, 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 he's a terrible person in, in the in the movie. Obviously, do you um, remember the first time you saw Humphrey Bogart? What he was doing in this movie? What was Rick doing the first time you saw him in this movie? Wasn't he sitting down? He's sitting down. What's he doing? He he's playing chess. That's right, yeah. But do you know what? That's an actual real chess game. He's playing Correspondence by Mel. Really? Yes. He, so he's sitting there thinking about what <laughs> move to make to Mel back. Because back then there was no yeah. computers, electronics. He's like, he's thinking, huh, okay, if I do that, you know what I mean? So he can write down his move and send it back to the guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he would move the guy's piece, whatever he said he wanted to do, and then he'd have to. So I thought that was pretty cool that, that he is actually. awesome. <laughs> playing an actual game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, during production, Humphrey Bogart was called to the studio to stand in the middle of Rick's cafe set and nod. He had no idea what the nod meant in the story, <laughs> but that was his okay for the band to play uh, in the cafe to play the Marseillaise lace, lace, whatever that's. Um, we talked about Dooley Wilson. Um, uh, the piano playing was actually the recording of a performance by Jean Vincent Plummer, who is behind a curtain. Uh, director Michael Kurtz's Hungarian accent often caused confusion on the set. He asked a prop man for a poodle to appear in one scene. The prop man searched high and low for a poodle while the entire crew waited. He found one and presented to Kurtz, who screamed, A poodle? A poodle of water. Wow. <laughs> so he wanted a puddle of water. <laughs> it's not a poodle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's here's one thing that uh, Rick never says played against Sam. I had always heard it as played against Sam. You know, what I mean the the piano, the song. Yeah, so I played yeah. again at the end. He says, "You played it for her. You can play it for me. If yeah. she can take it, I can take it. So play it." Ilsa says, um, or Elise says, play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. The intricate line has become the basis of spoof movies such as A Night in Casablanca in 1946 and Played Against Sam in 1972. Huh. And we're going to talk about some of the, when we get here in a minute, some of those um, iconic quotes. There's a lot. There are six so of them, many. I think. Um, let's see here. Uh, Madame Lebeau, who plays Yvonne, and uh, Marcel Dalio, who plays uh, Krupper Emil, were husband and wife at the time of filming. They had not long before escaped the Nazis by fleeing their native France. Oh, wow. So, so this is real. I, I don't know how you go from fleeing to walking onto a movie set, you know, getting cast for a role. I don't. I, I think I think it's it also has something to do with uh, when you get away from something so heinous. You know what I mean? It, it, it's good to just fall back into a routine to right. to just you know have a bit of normalcy in your life. I mean, you, you just escape uh either whether it be germany occupied france uh you know any any italy or yeah whatever. italy so like to to get away from that you just need to feel something normal uh and then just fall into a routine and like being able especially because you know uh, some of them were actors in, the, in their perspective countries it's just okay look i'm acting again i'm working again that's great uh, i'm away from that mess and and even though you're you know 
playing a movie in that in that setting it's like okay cool we get to highlight some of the stuff and, and uh, about it that you know makes it tough or um you know the situations or hey yeah this this character highlights how bad that they are you know and so on and so forth right so the whole movie i never really understood why rick couldn't go back to america i don't think it ever said why he couldn't go back to america did it it's all implied it never says it never says why though that they never out outright say why he can't go back to america um it's lightly implied so there's a lot implied why uh why he's is it because he's like a spy or i always thought just because uh just criminal some kind of criminal activity <laughs> yeah you but no I mean? but you, but you it never, never know really says but I mean, but you know the way he runs that casino where he's like hey we're down twenty thousand or what you know he lets that yeah. one guy win he's like i needed to land on a six you remember the one guy yeah. that he's trying to get him and his wife out of the country or whatever and he's like and i need you he's like leave it all on six yeah you know? and then then he you know makes it so they, they have enough money right so um what, what i think is interesting is they kind of gleam into his background just a little bit and it kind of gives you an idea of what kind of man he is and what after the the man he was prior to Paris and the man he was afterwards. So prior to Paris, you know, obviously um, him and uh, what was the uh, Rick and what was uh, his lover's name? Elsa. Or, Elsa. Yeah. So Rick and but prior to Rick and Elsa, uh, you know, he fought in a lot of wars and not, not uh, I forgot which ones they highlighted, but he's he's a soldier. He's he's. He's done. He's been in combat and stuff like that. And from uh, Strasser, I think highlights it because he's like looks into his background. He's like uh, uh, about him being on like the losing side. You know what I mean? Well, according to Julius uh, Epstein, he said, "My brother Philip and I tried to come up with a very re- a reason why Rick could not return to America, but nothing seemed right. We finally decided not to give a reason at all. So there you go. You left it up to speculation. You know oh, okay." What I mean? Uh, but to me, it sounded like he was into like the spy. I want. I don't want to say spy business, but and he that, was. That, that can very well be. You possible. know, what I mean, because, because of, of his he, could, he could get those letters. He like could get. Um, Warner Brothers purchased the play for twenty thousand dollars, the most ever paid for an unproduced work up to that time. Oh wow! I mean, Sam, it paid off. How much do you think Sam's Piano sold for in an auction in two thousand twelve? Oh wow! Uh, I want to say. Couple mil at least. No, six hundred thousand. Yeah, I was hoping. And it was three hundred seventy thousand pounds. So, uh, Casey Robinson, who rewrote the romantic scenes between Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, were offered screen credit, but turned it down because at the time he was only taking credit for scripts he wrote entirely by himself. Oh, by declining credit, he did himself out of an Academy Award. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. (laughs) I wonder how many times that you know that happens. Uh, Rick's Cafe American was modeled after the Hotel Amenza in Tangler's Morocco. Oh, that's cool. Uh, let's see. You, you think after after the movie, someone like opened a cafe named Rick's Cafe, or was there one already? Rick's American ca- Cafe. I wonder if there is one in Casablanca. That'd be interesting. Right? If you're in Morocco and you know there is one named <laughs> Casablanca, let us know. <laughs> Um, Dooley Wilson uh, was, in fact, the only member of the cast to have ever actually visited the city of Casablanca. Oh, wow. Which I thought was pretty cool, too. In 2006, this film script was named the best screenplay of all time by the Writers Guild of America. That's pretty cool. Uh, (laughs) Reportedly, many of the shadows were painted onto the set. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Instead of lighting, they're painting shadows onto the That's set. pretty funny. I guess they just couldn't get the lighting they wanted. Also, so. a $100,000 insurance policy was taken out on the film's leading player, Humphrey Bogart, in case he died during production. Wow, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I wonder if that's just in case they had to uh, recast that or whatever. So, so two facts ago, the one were uh, about the script. I, I think it's just funny that, you know, it was like, it, it, it's, oh, man, this is one of the best scripts. And then you got... Humphrey Bogart and um, I'm forgetting her character name. I'm forgetting her name. <laughs> uh, but in any case, them like you know making fun of the script, saying like, "Oh, this is not believable," and this is this is terribly written. And meanwhile, like you, know, right. you got you got the uh, 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 the uh, what what was it? The American the writers guild writers, writers guild. But that one. was this in 2006, great. though. That was that, late. yeah, that's true. That's that true. was what 60 years later. But it's still interesting to be like, you know, in the moment it seems silly and then it just becomes uh, Well, the, and also the way that the film was shot, Ingrid Bergman did not know if she ended up with Rick or if she ended up with Victor. Oh, that, so yeah, that's So when right. she, um, when they were doing all those Paris scenes or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, they was, she didn't know she was supposed to be in love with Rick. Although she tells Rick she loves him, she never tells Victor that she loves him. And she she just answers, I know, oh, remember, yeah, yeah, if, you, if you paid attention. I did, pay, I did notice that. So yeah. they told her to play it in between. <laughs> 50-50. <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers has claimed that uh, people of 34 nationalities worked on the film. I mean, you talk about the melting pot of a movie. Yeah. Um, in 2007, the American Film Institute ranked this as the number three greatest movie of all time. Yep. <laughs> Captain Ronald's line... You like war, I like women. It was changed from you enjoy war, I enjoy women in order to meet decency standards of the time. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, to prepare for working with Humphrey Bogart, Inga Bergman watched the Maltese Fa- uh, Falcon a lot of times. So that's another movie we're going to do. Oh, the Here's Looking at You Kid, which is a big thing. Oh, yeah. It was improvised by Humphrey Bogart. Really? Yep. Um, but it worked so well in the film, they decided to add it later on, too. Also, Inga Bergman liked to play poker. On the set with the oh. guys, and she couldn't speak English very well. So, but here's looking at you, you kid was became one of her lines when she was playing poker. That's so hilarious. I thought that was pretty funny. Here it is. Here you go. The quotes from the film. The film has six quotes on the American Film Institute list of top movie quotes of all time, more than any other movie on the list. Yeah. The quotes with the ranks are as follows. Number five. Here's looking at you, kid. Yep. Number twenty, Louis. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, which yep. is often misquoted too. Yeah, I would imagine some people. Some people usually. I think this is the beginning of the you know the start yeah. of the beautiful blah blah blah. Number twenty eight. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Uh, Thirty two. Uh, let's see. Yep. Thought we lost power. Okay, we're good. <laughs> uh, Thirty two was uh, round up the usual suspects, which you okay. hear that in a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, number forty three. We'll always have Paris. Yeah. And number sixty seven. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world. She walks into my. I love. That. I love that. that. That's my one of my favorites. One. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it deserved to be higher up there. Uh, Gone with the Wind uh, from 1939, which we've covered, and The Wizard of Oz 1939, which, which we've, we've covered, covered, came and tied for second place with three quotes apiece, including the number one quote from Gone with the Wind. Hmm. Uh, Michelle Morgan asked for fifty five thousand dollars, but Hal B. Willis refused to pay it when he could get Inger Bergman for twenty five thousand. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, you wanted to work on this movie, and we can get it cheaper. Guess what? Uh, the movie's line, Here's Looking at You, Kid, was voted as the number five movies quoted by the American Film Institute as number one of the greatest movie lines by Premier in 2007. And it's an improv line. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest part. So it's so good that they... Here's Looking at You, Kid. Um, 
the screenwriter twins objectively initially to the casting of Claude Rains as the French policeman because he was already under contract to the studio. Julius later admitted, we were wrong. Rains was great. Yeah. He's, really great. He's fantastic. Um, we love him from The Invisible Man. Yeah, you know? and this just showcases his uh, how and the diversity of roles he can play. Here right? you go. How about this guy? Paul Henry, who played this, the Victor, you know, the, her yeah. other... Was loaned to Warner Bros. as a role uh, for Victor uh, by Selznick International Pictures against his will. He was concerned that playing a secondary character would ruin his career as a romantic lead. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you jerk. Get over here. He, he's a back, phenomenal actor. But what I'm saying movie. is back then, it was all about, I got to be the lead role. I got to be yeah. the lead role. I got to be the lead role. You know what I mean? The secondary characters don't do nothing to help me get lead roles. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. Oh, Claude Rains, our guy again, uh, was a non-smoker. In most of his scenes, he is smoking a cigarette. He never inhales. However, using the trick of drawing the smoke into his mouth, holding it for a moment, then puffing it out without ever drawing it into his lungs. Huh. I wonder if he did that with the Invisible Man too. Remember when? Oh yeah, because he. But I don't know. You never see it go into his lungs. Remember? So he could have been anybody. Um, when President Franklin Roosevelt returned from a wartime conference in Casablanca with Winston Churchill, he asked for a screening of the film at the White House because in Spanish, Casablanca means White House. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, now, this is an injustice. Because, as time goes by, had been written years before the film was made, it was deemed not eligible for an Oscar and was not nominated for Best Song of the Year. Uh, so, got him. <laughs> it's a shame. It's a song. crying shame. Great song. A kiss is just a kiss. Uh, yeah, there, there's where it talks about Dooley only getting five hundred. Uh, was borrowed. For, he was borrowed from Paramount for five hundred dollars a week. That's. But uh, at least he was under contract with another studio, I guess. That's true. If he was borrowed from Paramount, but I don't know what his pay rate. But was. I mean, I'm I sure feel like I feel like he still he should have got paid more, way more. Right. Because it's such a good role. Oh, and that's another thing that was kind of up to, to question. It's like, you, at first, you know they have a prior relationship just through subcontext and stuff. And then you see them in Paris. And then once again, you know, uh, uh, Sam's hanging out with, with Rick. But, like, what brought them together in the first place? Like, And not only that, but do you know what I really loved about them? Is the one guy's like, hey, Sam, maybe you want to come work for me? He's like, oh, he's like, yeah. Rick's like, you can ask him, but he's like, he's not going to want to go anywhere. And remember, he goes up there, he's like, hey, how would you like to go make a thousand? He's like, I'm happy where I'm at. Hey, he's know? like, I'll pay you so double. Something, he's something, like, I don't even know what to do right. with the money yeah. I get so, paid with So now. something's happened there. I don't know the connection between them, but something's happened you between Rick and Sam. There respect is respect between the two of them. And I don't know if maybe they helped each other smuggle something or something. You know what I mean? You don't they know. They might just be war buddies. That's what I'm saying. You don't know. And I love it because it shows. How close they were, you know. What I mean, yeah. that he wouldn't even leave for double his salary. Yeah, I mean that that goes to says in today's market, would you leave your job if you could go work somewhere else, make twice as much money? In a heartbeat. <laughs> well, I know you would. <laughs> uh, 1989, Casablanca was added to the National Film Registry by the United States. Uh, oh, the cigarette smoke in the cafe is not from cigarettes at all. Stagehand sprayed smoke off camera from some sort of handheld device. This is confirmed in the Blu-ray special features outtakes, possibly on regular DVD special features. Uh, then here's where we talked about Warner Brothers wanted to remove the song as time goes by, but Inger Bergman had already cut her hair for her next film, For Whom the Bell Tolls, in 1943, so director hmm. Michael Kurtz was unable to reshoot the scene, which I'm glad. Ha-ha. Got him. <laughs> uh, 
Contrary to popular belief, the line, play it again, Sam, is not spoken in this movie. Ingrid Bergman does say, play it, Sam, and play it once more for old time's sake. Despite this, play it again, Sam, became a popular line. So popular that it was, in fact, spoken by the late Roger Moore in the James Bond-filmed Moonraker. Huh. I thought that was cool. we got to do some James Bond movies. We haven't done any of those oh, yet. Oh, yeah. There's so many to choose from. <laughs> um, there is a popular belief that Ronald Reagan was supposed to uh, slated to play as Rick. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but uh, Hal B. Wallace has always said that Humphrey Booger uh, had had him in mind from the very beginning. I mean, that's one of them hearsays, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it'd been really cool to see Ronald Reagan in there too. And there's uh, another one about the uh, uh, chess thing, and he's got all the different chess moves that was on the board already. So there you have it. Casablanca, Terrence. Casablanca. Give us your thoughts and feelings and all the above on the film. So, as I said before, uh, I have seen this movie before, but it's been so long that I didn't really remember it. So, it was... I knew I liked it when I watched it before. Uh, And watching it again, I still really do enjoy it. It's definitely worth a watch. I I like the dynamic between the characters. It's... I think it's very well written. Um... And leaving certain things in obscurity really adds to the movie. And I also think it's it's always fun to kind of create dialogue after the movie. Because, you know, you watch the movie with uh, either, you know, on your own and you talk to somebody else who watched it. Or you watch it with a friend. And, you know, you sit here and you converse it like we have. Like, what do you think is his background? Like, what's the relationship between Rick and Sam? Um, and there's several movies we've covered where it leaves it open like that. It does. And I, I think this one leaves it in a way where it gives you just enough to be almost satisfied, but also just not enough. So you create a dialogue about it because you're like, okay, I, I do know that, you know, Rick's uh, been in a couple wars that kind of paints a little background for him. But, and then you can tell after Paris, uh, that's kind of the heartbreak kind of made him a colder man, but not all the way because he still has a little bit of heart. And you see that when, you know, he has the, uh, the letters, uh, the, the letters and he, he lets the, um, that woman win. Uh, at the uh, the roulette well, table. Well, well, not only well that, but also um, what we haven't talked about is the end of the movie where he gives the letters and yep. and she's like, "Rick's going with me. We're leaving." Remember, and he's like, yep. "No, you're going you're with going Victor, with and you're well. going to start yep. a new life, and all this. My life's here." Because he, he totally had planned with her that he was going to go with right. her, and then he flips it around, and so you know you you can, you can see tell. she is destroyed. Dude. Yeah, he got her. <laughs> I love that he got you know. Got um, uh, but yeah, do you, no, it's 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 such it's such, it's so good. Do you think it deserves to be in the top five? Absolutely, I do. Uh, do just because you look at the the time and how diverse it is, and it's I want I want to say just you know in us doing in this podcast for a while, looking at a lot of movies, uh, older movies in particular, it's rare you see such a diverse cast, and to hear that a lot of the cast were refugees themselves. To, and then you know make a movie about essentially refugees uh, I think is, is very unique and interesting <laughs> I gotta tell this story real quick do you remember when uh, I told Terrence I was like alright Terrence we're gonna be doing um, uh, the Shawshank Redemption oh, yeah. <laughs> so what's Terrence do Terrence goes and watch the Schindler's List <laughs> he's like, he's so like whoops I, this, okay so this, this is what happened um, I got the initial text and he's like hey uh, you know we get, we're gonna review Shawshank Redemption. I was like, okay, cool. And then 
being me, sometimes I do things last minute. So, like, it was like a week or two later that I was like, oh, yeah, I got to watch the movie. What was it? And instead of, you know. Looking at your text that you still have. Looking at my text that I still had. I just went, oh, yeah, that's right. We're watching Shangler's List. And then so I go and watch Shangler's List. And then I realized I You know, that is a really good movie that I'd like to cover. But it's going to be a tough one to cover. So, I mean, the way they did that. It's. Oof. Uh, to we'll me, get to that, but uh, right. but yeah, it was it was funny. I was like, oh crap! So then I had to hurry up and go back and then watch uh, Josh Josh Redemption. <laughs> yeah, to, to me, um, it's a good movie, but uh, to top five of all time, of all time, it is it is interesting. But I, I think when it comes to all time, it, it's it's looking at I guess the like everything. You know what I mean? Like, right. I understand that. And I, I think it has a lot going for it, um, and I can see it reaching a really broad audience. Uh, given, like you know, I, I imagine some other movies that I would put on my personal would not make other people's. You right. Know what I mean, um, but I'm I'm just saying, uh, just from the movie perspective, if I was Rick and that girl came into my cafe, there is no way I'm not kicking her out or having something done to her with all the power that he had in there. That's true, Especially yeah. when she said, this is my husband. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. You're gone. You're gone for good. You know what I mean? Oh, You'd yeah. go to another bar here on the island or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, the... Um, but I think it shows his heart that, you know, he, he sees she moved on with her life. Um, she thought he was dead. Remember, she tries to... She's like, yeah. let me explain. He's like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. You know, and then she finally breaks down and tells him. He actually listens. And you find out that she thought he was dead. Then he came back, you know. Um, yeah. So you kind of started feeling a little sorry for Rick because yeah. he's, he's going to be on the short end of a stick again. But then they devise that plan where, hey, I'm going to plant these letters on Victor. He'll be put away for a long time. Yeah. And him with Claude Rains is hilarious anyway, oh, you know, because they're, they're always, Rains you know. Is right. Um, so, I mean, I enjoyed that conflict there too, you know what I mean? Yeah. But in the end, he did the right thing. So, I mean, it is a definitely must watch. Of if you're if you love movies, this is a definitely if you have not seen this, this is a definitely a must watch. Um, I don't know if I'll watch it again for a while. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, um, I feel that. Yeah, because it's not one of my favorites that I like. Like I said, I tried to watch it three times, and if you can get past the first ten or fifteen minutes, you're 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 golden. Because it's it's really like. But that beginning, man. After after uh, you know, it first. starts off. It shows like a does show like a script on the screen about hey, this yeah, is the city of Casablanca articles. where people go. It to, shows like like news articles. Fake oh, World War Two, right, right, right. But, like, there's news articles there, and then they they kind of they do a lot of prefacing and background. And now I will I will say that uh, um, it's it's interesting that they go down that route because it is said that if if you write a good enough story, you don't have to go back and preface it with a bunch of sub context to put your movie in. But the fact that they had to take you know a couple minutes in the very beginning and be like, this is what's happening. Here's some news articles. This is where this place is, and, and that, and that. Instead of maybe explaining it in dialogue context of like right. maybe even like a conversation that spells it out instead well, of just. Because I got it really confused at the beginning too, because like people are like the 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 Germans are coming off the airplane, you know, and the Italians yeah. are there to greet them, and the American, you know, they have all these different nationalities on this. I guess it's a free country of Morocco or what? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I was kind of confused, like what's going on? I mean, I think it's controlled by the French. You know yeah. what I mean? And then you got the Germans coming. They want to do everything to please the Germans. And then, you know, they're even there to arrest the one guy, remember? Yep. And, uh, oh, we've already arrested him. You know what I mean? Because Rick, they all go to Rick to get away from the country. They, he's known as the smuggler out of the country. He's a pay, pay, yeah. paperwork and all that stuff. So um, very interesting movie. Very interesting. 
Uh, well, with that being said, let's uh, go ahead and give out our next movie we're going to do. Yes. This was a fan request from a friend of mine named Marcus Clark. He and does one his, that I mentioned that I wanted yes, to do. Yes, and he does his own podcast, so I'm going to uh, interview him uh, sometime soon. Uh, and we're going to be doing The Last Dragon with yes. Bruce Leroy. Bruce Leroy. <laughs> so uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, if you want to join our Facebook group, we're at the Tragedy of Cinema uh, podcast Facebook group. Yep. Uh, you can if you want to send us any questions or comments or reviews, uh, look us up. Uh, you can email us at thetragedyofcinema@gmail.com. Um, find us wherever you know. We're, we're, we're YouTube, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher, all those good stuff. Apple Podcast. Give um, our YouTube some love. We have like no views on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And, and cut. cut. That was a terrible cut. <laughs>